Lee. Welcome. So delighted to have you. Today is Sunday, September 11th, and let's check our Hebrew day today. It is the 15th of Elul, 5782. We just had a massive full moon. If you were awake and alert and mindful of the moon last night, Motzei Shabbat, after the Sabbath, you saw a beautiful harvest moon, at least here in Israel, that's what we saw. And it is a reminder that we are halfway through the month of the Hebrew month of Elul. That means we have two weeks until Rosh Hashanah, the new year, the head of the year on the Jewish calendar. And so we are in the midst of practicing and being here together uh, to prepare for this uh, encounter with God and community and really be present for what we call the high holy days, the Yamin Noraim. And so here we are today in our usual practice of awakening Torah Musar mindfulness. We are in the Torah portion called Ki Tetze. All across the world yesterday on the Sabbath, Jews all over the world, if you were in a synagogue or in a minyan, studied this parsha, and it was tradition to kind of look at it the week before, take a read of it, delve into it, see what the rabbis and our tradition, Chazal, have to say about it. So as I usually do before we jump in, we're going to first cover our kavanot, our intentions for today's practice. So I'm going to share screen for those of you who have vision and are watching. Otherwise, I will read it out loud. And for those of you on audio or who do not have vision, um, you can hear what our kavanot, our intentions are for today. So we see this practice together, taking refuge and community in this time together on Sundays, regularly at 7.30 p.m. Israel time, 12.30 Eastern Standard Time. We see this as an act of radical self-care meaning you're taking time to learn and practice and why this is something we say we are doing to strengthen our own soul in order to be a benefit to others in the future we're also doing this to strengthen our relationship to others so that we can be a better conduit of god's good to others when they need us however we may define god or the divine we're also doing this practice as part of our intentions to strengthen our relationship with the divine, with the Almighty, with God, with Hashem, however you may call the creator of all beings, so that we can be a better conduit of what the good that God has provided in this whole universe and on this earth that we may provide it to others when they need us. So that those are our intentions for this practice. And we move into what we're actually going to share today. So I'm going to briefly summarize Kitetse. Kitetse is quite an amazing Torah portion, Hebrew Bible parasha, weekly Torah portion. Why? It contains 74 mitzvot, 74 commandments. Um, it has the most of any parasha in the whole Hebrew Bible, in the whole Torah. And so the mitzvot that are being focused on here are really on individuals on family units, on neighbors. Those are the main things. 
And what you're going to notice, and you're going to notice this shift in general in Deuteronomy in the book that we're in. There are five books of Moshe, of Moses. And the last one's called Deuteronomy or called Devarim in Hebrew. And you're going to notice a huge shift. All of a sudden, everything that's kind of being discussed, all the laws, all the reminders of the laws from Moshe to Am Yisrael, to the Jewish people, to uh, the Israelites, to our ancestors, all of them focus on the everyday person. It doesn't focus on the Kohanim, on the priests. The priests had their book back in Vaikra and what we call Leviticus. And all of a sudden you notice there, there aren't any laws really reminding the priests, the Kohanim, what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to do it. So that's interesting in and of itself. Why don't the Kohanim, why don't the priests need to be reminded? Well, the rabbis, of course, have an opinion about this. They tell us it's because they consider the Kohanim being very much more observant, much more careful with the practice and the mitzvot. Um, that's one explanation. But I think there's actually something really positive behind this. I think there's a shift in Deuteronomy and Devarim to the average person and how they're going to relate to themselves, to the world around them, to their family units, to their neighbors, because it wants to root the Torah in all people, not just the priests. And it wants you to know that that's what Moshe is going to pay attention to in the end. He wants you to know he's connecting with you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He's not going to just focus on the priest and what happens in the Mishkan inside the, the sacred area of what we would call like the temple today. Uh, instead, it's really going to be where are you going to practice your life and bring infuse it with holiness? Where are you going to be on this path towards holiness as the average person? You're not going to be in the Mishkan. You're not going to be in the temple serving with a Kohanim and doing that. So where do you need to be focusing your time and behavior? And that's what this, particularly this Parsha, Kitetse, is all about. It's about getting us on this path and reminding us where our attention and time and energy needs to be. And I brought her before. She's beloved to me. Um, I like to call her rabbi, although she never had smicha or was given that title. But um, our beloved teacher, may her memory be for a blessing, Nachama Lebowitz. In the studies of Devarim, De Deuteronomy, she brings one of um, the sources from Devarim Rabbah, which is a midrash. It's a kind of stories and explanations on the role of mitzvot, or the role of commandments, and why, why are they being brought here. And she says that um, the author of this midrash basically attributes to the mitzvot, to the commandments here, the role of good angels accompanying men, accompanying the human being. This idea that gracing the human being with daily acts of consecrating our most mundane and earthly duties, connecting with satisfying our elementary material needs and wants, such as tilling the soil and earning a livelihood and clothing ourselves and grooming our hair and building a house and making sure we put a fence around the roof, making sure that we drive the mother bird away before we take the eggs or the chicks. All these little small daily act, uh, activities elevate who we are and what we do away from kind of self-centered egotistical way of living to a level of divine service. 
Okay, this is a source that she brings here and I'm going to have us hold that because there's something quite beautiful about that and why all of a sudden you're having 74 mitzvot <laughs> guiding you um, here in the Torah. So let me just finish with my summary when I'm going to hone in on a certain area for us. So these final group of laws concern with private matters, as I said, between families, individuals and neighbors. Um, basically, it contrasts with the previous group from last week, right, when we were dealing with, um, particularly during uh, Shoftim, the Parsha on judges, right, when we were dealing with public officials and matters of the nation uh, on whole. And um, you have a whole section here that also deal with concern, the welfare of for women, um, in particular, if uh, dealing with husbands who may dislike their wife and a captive wife and the act of war, all sorts of areas here. What happens with a new bride? When she, with, if, will the husband have to be sent off to war during the first year? And the answer is no, because it's about protecting her new marriage with him and that she gets to be with him during the first year. So all these concern, they're concerned, especially in the time and place in which the Torah was written and collected, is this welfare for women in the sense of stressing participation in religious ceremony and all sorts of things. So this is all here. But what I'm going to have us focus on, and I'm going to see if I can actually bring it up so I can show you the actually um, the Pesukim, the verses, since we have, uh, I believe we have the time. And so if you are looking, if you are following along here, and you go to Deuteronomy chapter 22, and it's the first verse, verse number one. We're actually going to look at verse one through four. Okay, and I'm going to pull that up for us and I will share a screen. Just give me one second. But if you have it in front of you, you can also go ahead and um, and do this. So we want to be in chapter 22. Uh, it didn't pull up this way. Hold on. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> Ah, here we go. Deuteronomy, Dvarim, chapter 22. All right, now I'm going to share screen with you. And if you don't read Hebrew, that's okay. I will translate. I'm going to have the English and the Hebrew here. I'm going to put both up. Okay, this is a wonderful website for those of you learning uh, the Torah or Hebrew, if you don't know it. It is called Sepharia. It's right here in the top, S-E-F-A-R-I-A.org. It is a wonderful uh, site that has a whole library of rabbinic texts in the Jewish tradition, and uh, I highly recommend it. So you have here before us, this is going to be the JPS translation from 2006. But basically the example, the case law being brought to us right here is if you see your fellow, okay, it's called achicha, okay, your brother, your fellow, okay. Right. So in the, the cases, if you see your uh, fellow Israelite, your fellow brother Israelite, or a sheep, or it's um, sev, basically his sheep, and it's gone astray, essentially, nidachim. And says right here, now pay attention to this language right here. It's beautiful. Okay. Vehit alamta. Now they translate it as you must not ignore it, right? Now the Shoresh, Ayan Lamen Mem, means actually hidden, that you can't um, hide yourself. 
you can't go into denial. You can't ignore this. Okay, we're gonna hold that level right there. You can't ignore that you've seen this animal. And now I want you to think about what is being concerned here. There's a new psychological layer being brought to us in Devarim, in the book of Deuteronomy, and particularly here in Kitetse, that we have not witnessed in all the other four books of Torah. So you must not ignore it. You must take it back, okay? So Vehit Alamta Mehem Hashev Teshevim excuse me, you must take it back to your brother, your fellow, your peer, however you want to translate that, okay? You shall surely take it back is how it should be translated because of this double uh, use of the verb here. Then it goes on and it, 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 uh, pro it provides more of a deep layer for us to get in here. If your fellow doesn't live near you, you don't know who the owner is, what are you hearing behind this? The Torah is in God here is anticipating all the excuses, what we call in Hebrew terutzim, excuses that will tell ourselves not to bother ourselves with this animal. Uh, it, you know, someone else will take care of the animal. Oh, the person doesn't live near me, or I don't know who the owner is. It's really getting into amazing detail of who we are and what kind of community we're going to build and live in if we are going to pay attention to the lost items of somebody or not. Now, it might seem like a small detail, but we're going to get into what it really means. So let's continue for our two more verses. So if you if your fellow does not live near you, you don't know who the owner is, you shall bring it home. You have to bring it home. You can't ignore it. <laughs> you have to bring it home. It's going to remain with you until your peer claims it. And then you shall give it back. Okay, the rabbis have a lot to say about that second verse. I'm not going to focus on that right now. But basically, yes, of course, you're going to give it back. What does that mean? What's that extra detail? But if we continue, we're going to find this verb being used again. And then look at verse three. I'm just going to move quickly through this English here. You shall do the same with that person's ass, meaning a donkey, the chamoro. And you shall do the same with the person's garment. Like if you see someone's piece of clothing on the ground. You should do the same with anything that your fellow Israelite loses and you find. Now, here it goes. Lo tuchal lehit alem. You must not remain indifferent. You must not hide yourself or hide your responsibility or try to withdraw from this and go away. That is what it's saying to us. Okay. And then finally, if we go to four, it's going to be used again. Why is the same verb being used? over and over again and why is it such an unclear verb like why would you tell people you can't hide yourself <laughs> instead you could use much more concrete direct language like like there are actual verbs of you can't ignore this or you must give it back you know there's there's different ways of wording this very clearly so finally it says in number four if you see your fellow israelis ass or ox fallen on the ground here we go do not ignore it. You must raise it together. So lehit alampa mehem, you shall surely raise it together. Okay, this is very important. What are we getting at here? What does it mean in our practice? I'm going to stop sharing the screen. To have God and our community and our ancestors be so concerned with the excuses that we're going to use to not involve ourselves with our neighbor and community. 
So let me word it in the positive. I think that was, that's going to help us a lot. Think to yourself to a time when something was returned to you that you had lost in your lifetime, whether it be um, a piece of clothing, an animal, I don't know, it could even be cash, it can be anything. If you haven't had this experience yet, then you know, may God grant you it so you experience it, especially may you experience someone giving this back to you. So I'll tell you the conversation that happened around my Shabbat table yesterday. We all talked about what it was like to receive something back that we had lost. So I'll tell you here in Israel, my spouse and I and even children have, have left our wallet at the mall, have left our wallet in a cab, in a taxi, have left our our national ID somewhere. And in all those cases, our fellow Jew, our part of our nation and our people of living here, called us up and said, I have your ID. I, I would like to meet you here or come deliver it or whatever. It was returned to us. And, 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 and you might see that's just a small thing. But what that has an effect on us is that, one, we don't fear losing things. We actually think it'll be returned to us someday if it's meant to be returned. You kind of leave it up to God, right? In that sense, like if God meant for this to be returned to you, it'll be returned someday. You have trust in your neighbors and community around you that if you do lose something, it'll be returned and that you will do the same. And it ends up creating um, a really strong social fabric a real feeling of that you are part of a people and a nation and, 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 and a community that is going to be trustworthy and is gonna return things. And that's not a small thing. And this is what God wants us to create here. If we're going to be holy and on this path towards Kedusha, then we need to create this type of society where little small acts like this happen on a daily basis and we don't try to hide. We don't try to be indifferent or ignore or be in denial or withdraw and assume someone else will take care of it. No, we're told that we need to step up, have the self-esteem to do so, and then also understand that you're doing a mitzvah. You are doing what is commanded of you to return something to your neighbor, to your brother, to whomever. It's a huge thing and it's a beautiful thing that we're witnessing here in Devarim, in this uh, practice, in the study here, where there's this anticipation of a psychological reaction, right? Which is all about our practice in Musar mindfulness. It's all about a concern. Are we aware of the hindrances that arise within us to create excuses of why we're not going to act when we should? Which happens to all of us on a daily basis and little small little earthquakes, right? Every single day. And so the practice is to be awake when we see that dollar bill or 20 or 100 on the ground, when we see that shirt, when we see that lost toy, when we see that cat or dog, that we just don't go, someone else will do it, or I'll take it, or whatever the terutz, whatever the excuse is. Instead, we see it as, this is a mitzvah. I'm commanded to do this. I want to create a holy society. I want to engage in this. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to find the owner because I know what it does to that owner's soul and heart to get back what they've lost. It's a gift and it's, it may seem like a small thing, but it's really these things that build the fabric of our society. 
and who we're going to be on a daily basis. So I'm going to close with just saying that we've witnessed basic law like this back in Shemot and, and Exodus. It's a similar condition. It's word, it's in chapter 23, verse 4. It says, if you would refrain from raising a fallen animal. But it doesn't talk about you hiding or withdrawing or using that verb lehitalem, the ayin lamed mem. It, it doesn't use that at all. There's a whole new layer being brought by Moshe before he dies to our ancestors that he's really getting in there now. He's saying you, I, you have to do these mitzvot and I'm going to know it. I'm going to anticipate for you what you're going to tell yourself to not engage, but what you need to do if we're really going to build a society and take care of one another. So with that, we're going to move into our guided mindfulness meditation practice around this. It's going to be a mindfulness of thoughts. We're going to see what arises. I'll even bring a case similar to what might have come up for us if we've ever had this experience. And we're going to practice around this. And then we'll have time for comments and questions and answers afterwards. So I will let you know when we're going to be pulled out of this meditation. And for now, you're welcome to assume one of the four postures in mindfulness meditations, either sitting, can be on a chair, on the floor, on a cushion, known as a zafu generally, or it can be lying down. I recommend keeping your eyes open so you remain awake and alert. You can stand. I often say stand next to a chair so you feel held and supported or in a strong mountain pose if you're engaging in yoga at all or even Tai Chi. And the final one is a walking meditation. So if you're having any chronic pain, stiffness of the back, anything, feel free to walk. You're not walking to get somewhere. You're just walking mindfully as you'll listen to me guide the meditation. And if you are going to assume the seated position like I am, come to an upright position where you feel strong and dignified, created in the image and likeness of God of the divine. Allow your hands to rest on your lap. Allow your feet to really be held on the floor, grounded. And we're going to start with three deep cleansing breaths. Inhalation. Exhalation. Allowing yourself to arrive. Inhalation. Exhalation. Letting go of any tension if you are able. Inhalation. Exhalation. Feeling the gift of the breath. The oxygen flow through you. If you feel safe and comfortable and you have vision, feel free to close your eyes. Otherwise, lower your gaze gently in front of you and allow your breath to settle. No need to control it. No need to judge it. Try to make it any different than what it is right here and right now. I invite you to include mindfulness of thoughts in your general mindfulness meditation now. 
just as we have in the past followed our breath or sensations of the breathing or in the body, there will be a stream of thoughts in the background. That's just how the human brain works. If you're new to this type of meditation, you might not even see the thoughts at first, or they could be so overwhelming. That's all you see. Just let them be. Let them rise and fall like the waves on the ocean around the breath. Periodically, whether after three breaths or six breaths or 10 breaths, a strong thought will arise and carry the attention away. As soon as you notice this thought, name it gently according to its predominant quality. You can use simple notes like planning, remembering, judging, worrying, imagining, interesting thoughts, happy thoughts fearful thought, painful thought, and so forth. Simply naming and acknowledging the thought is supportive of the witnessing quality of your practice of mindful loving awareness. Once you have noted a thought gently for some time, you will notice that it dissolves like a cloud under sunlight. Thoughts are ephemeral, they are empty. They have no substance except what we invest in them. After a thought has diminished, simply return to mindfulness of breath and body for a time until another strong thought, another strong emotion or sound pulls your attention from the breath.
Now I want you to actually bring up a thought tied to our teaching and learning together on this parsha. Recall when you have either returned something lost or someone has returned something lost to you. Bring up that thought. Notice how it feels in your body. Notice if you have become absorbed or lost in the thought or if you're able to witness it without being swept into it. Different types of thought have an effect on our body in different ways. Notice its bodily effect on you as you recall this thought. And now if you're able to hone in as you are developing this inner distance, this witness, this kind witness, which is your friend, yourself of attending and befriending. See if you can step out of the thought and see if there's any storytelling around it. We tell stories around our thoughts, around experiences that have happened in our past. Notice if there's any storytelling around this recollection of you either returning a lost item or someone returning a lost item to you. Notice if, uh, if there's any storytelling, if there's a common pattern of storytelling, a common pattern of thought. Even witness if you've been caught up in that story before. Knowing that right now in our practice, you can rest in the field of this mindful, loving awareness of witnessing this thought and even the stories you've told around it without being carried away. Notice if the thought brings strong emotions. And if there are any strong emotions, if they too have brought up any certain thoughts, we learn to witness the interplay between thought and emotion. Notice if this memory of returning a lost item or you receiving one or perhaps not receiving one or not returning. Notice if this is a sad thought or if this is an angry thought or a loving thought. Notice the emotional quality behind the thought. Notice how powerfully these thoughts and their connected emotions affect the whole state of the body and mind.
as you alternate now in the next two minutes of silence in our practice, you can alternate between mindfulness of breathing and mindfulness of other strong experiences, such as strong thoughts or strong emotions whenever they arise. Our practice is that we have become and will continue to unfold into a steady, loving witness of all that arises and passes. We are peaceful ones sitting amidst the rising and falling of waves of experience. We move into silent meditation. I will pull you out of the meditation when it is time. Have you been able to hear me this whole time or no? I don't think so. I can hear you. Oh, you can hear me. Did you hear me ring the bells? I think yeah. I was I think I was on yeah. mute. I apologize, everyone. Let me ring you out of your meditation. Thank you. I apologize for that. We, um, I was on mute and I didn't know it. Thank you for your practice. Thank you for today and being here. Um, for those of you joining live stream on YouTube, we apologize for live streaming issues that we've been having for with technology uh, on Facebook and other mediums. Hopefully, Bizrath Hashem, God willing, we'll have that fixed next week. 
Um, but I want to invite you. We've been in the middle of a daily practice called the 40 Days Elul practice uh, because we are in the Hebrew month of Elul before the new year, Rosh Hashanah, the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And that's a 40-day period. And, and it's Jewish custom and practice to daily do introspection, to do what's called cheshbon hanefesh, an accounting of the soul, of looking where we need to take responsibility for our behavior and apologize to people and uh, to, to do that practice, which is part of our Musa mindfulness practice. So I've been um, sharing a teaching and a sitting that you will find on our YouTube channel. And it's on a playlist called 40 Days Elul Practice. And you're all welcome to join that. I also send it out to our subscribers on from our website at Kahilat Musar. And if you're not subscribed, please do subscribe. If you don't know how, send me an email and I will sign you up myself. We'll give it to our staff. And um, yeah, so we want to thank you for joining us. And we, of course, welcome your donations and sponsorships in order to offer this or the Elul practice. So next week, we will meet, God willing, at the same time on Sunday at 12.30 Eastern Standard Time. And we will look at the parsha called Kitavo, which is next. And um, it's still in the book of De Deuteronomy, Devarim. And um, that is where we are right now. We'll move into a period of any comments or questions um, that either you have, Jenny, or uh, anyone else who sends them in or puts them into the chat. So you're welcome to say who you are where you're from, and if you have any comments or questions, I'll be silent now. Jenny from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. I've been with you for a few weeks, but many times I could not come in. So I got this personal meeting link. I'm very happy. I don't have to feel anxious again, not being able to come in. Uh, but I understand that next week I cannot come live because I have to attend a, a repose of soul mass for my German speaking friend. And this in, in person in Toronto, I need time to go over there. And so I, I have to miss next week. Uh, but today, I don't get the title of the book that you show. Oh, the name hey, of the author. Yes, yes. I, I brought her up before, but uh, I'll show you again. So, and you know what? I'll post this also uh, on the website and when I send it out. Are you subscribed on our site, Jenny? Not you yet. Okay. I, I will subscribe. Okay. Yeah, I would you, rather you sign me in than I sign in because I always encounter difficulty getting in because of the address is not America. Okay, that's fine. Absolutely. I will give you all the information in your in, send an email to you and you help me to sign in. Great, that's wonderful because I we send out a newsletter uh, weekly to let people know about what's out there and what's available, and so I'll include it. So she's actually quite famous. She's not with us anymore. She's passed away, but her name is Nachama Lebowitz, and you can see her right here. 
if you look. N-E-H-A-M-A. Yeah, the first name is N-E-H-A-M-A. And then the last name is Lebowitz, which is L-E-I-B-O-W-I-T-Z. Now, this book, she didn't actually publish herself. It was her students. She had two main students who were PhD students of hers. She taught, um, I believe, at Bar-Ilan uh, University in Israel, or maybe Hebrew University, but I think she was at Bar-Ilan. And um, they collected all her teachings and works and put them in these books. And they come in Hebrew and also English. And this is called Studies in Devarim, Studies in Deuteronomy. And she has one... She has one for each of the five books of Moshe. And I I highly recommend her because uh, what they put together here is her teachings and she brings lots of different commentary and I think it's user-friendly. It's written clearly and nice. I highly recommend it. Thank you. You're welcome. It's great to have you. We'll miss you next week, but you'll be able to look at the recording. Particularly, you'll receive it in the newsletter, or you can also see it on our YouTube channel. Any further questions or comments before we say goodbye for today? Uh, I want to share with you the thought of losing something and coming back. Please, please do share with us. I lost my calendar for over half a month, and mm. I could not remember to what, what I'm going to do. And then when I have it back, I was so happy. Mm-hmm. But for those two weeks, I missed everything. I could not understand how come the calendars can fly out of my window. I don't know. This is not only the first time. And I have, I have uh, something that is called uh, Living with Christ in English writing for attending daily TV mass. And I have all the scriptures, everything. And, uh, but then I got the, the one for August, sometime in July, but then I lost it. Mm. Only after August the 8th, it shows up again. Mm. Mm. So it really disturbing now, September. Yeah. I got my September issue early August. Mm. And now the September one is still not showing up. Mm. Today is already the 11th. Yes. So it's affecting your equanimity, what we call menokata nefesh. It's, it's causing you to have difficulty around it. Yes. Uh, it's, it's good that I have a computer. I can look it up on the computer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I like a paper copy. Yes, of course, of course. So how did you how did you practice around it? How did you get through it before it returned? I I just uh, go to the computer, uh, take mm-hmm. out the reading for the day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I attend daily TV mass. Mm-hmm. The daily TV mass uh, in Toronto, they have the cap. Mm-hmm, they have mm-hmm. the uh, close capture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Close caption, I mean. Mm. So, 
Well, I'm glad that you get them back and then I hope you get your September one. So no one returned it to you, right? It wasn't something lost that a human being returned to you, correct? I don't know how come it can be lost. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it affects it affects so much when we lose something. I lost so many other things, but those things, something minor, I don't care. But one thing that worrying me too much is that I lost my Canadian citizenship card. Oh, yeah. But when I'm ready to thinking of reporting that, then suddenly it was back into my purse. <laughs> You're being tried. <laughs> so, I don't know why. Yeah. I've been going through my purse many <laughs> times and it was not there. I'm grateful that you shared it with us. Thank you. Thank you. Wishing you balanced equanimity. I look forward to seeing you in two weeks. Thank you. You're welcome. Take care. Yeah, I will. Bye-bye.